0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Flashpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. We are walking you through the flames. This week, the debate focuses on the other side of the opioid epidemic. The 1.6 million chronic pain patients now say they're struggling to get access to the medication they desperately need just to function.
1: Thousands are dying and taking their lives, patients like me. there's no hope anymore.
2: Insurance
0: companies have put in strict rules on high doses of opioids and doctors' hands are tied. These are
2: policies that are taking away the rights of doctors to prescribe whatever they believe is best for their patients. A lot
3: of times those recommendations are not based on evidence.
0: The human rights crisis the new rules designed to protect addicts create for patients who are truly in pain. So I'm really excited about this one, y'all.
4: She was the first female on Wax. Can you guess who it is? It gave us a chance to put those guns and knives down and battle in a, in a more productive way. A radio legend's contribution to hip-hop, her new project, and what she says her
0: old radio station did wrong when they decided to let her go. We'll be right back. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program, Organ donors save lives. Register today at donors1.org. Welcome back to the Flashpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. The focus is the other side of the opioid epidemic. The many forgotten patients who live in chronic pain. Pain so intense that no surgery, no alternative method works. And their only option is pain management. Well, many of these folks feel cornered and overrun by new government regulations and insurance red tape that keep them from the higher doses of the medication they desperately need just to function. The lawmakers, insurance companies, and healthcare professionals, they're not letting up. 80% of opioid addictions began with prescription painkillers. And in Philadelphia, more than 1,200 people died of an opioid overdose in 2017. This week, officials said the crackdown on painkiller prescriptions is having a positive impact. The number of opioid prescriptions has dropped nearly a third among Blue Cross Blue Shield members in our area, and that's just between 2013 and last year. What about the 1.6 million living with chronic pain? Has the pendulum swung too far? With me in the studio to discuss this Flashpoint is Dr. Bernardo Marizaldi. He's a specialist in integrative medicine and psychiatry at Thomas Jefferson University. On the phone, we have Dr. Daniel Del Portal, an associate professor of clinical emergency medicine at Temple University who helped to draft Temple University's opioid prescribing guidelines. And finally, we also have Chrissy Hauser who has nerve damage from a spinal injury and lives in chronic pain. Thank you all for being on Flashpoint and talking about this important issue. Uh, I want to start with Dr. Del Portal. What were the opioid prescribing guidelines pre opioid crisis and what are they now?
3: We didn't have any uh, specific guidelines around opioid prescribing prior to 2013 when we uh, issued this. So it really used to be a a case-by-case determination. Continues to be that, but with more effective guidance around types of conditions that we should be treating in the emergency department with opioids and uh, really takes that into the perspective in light of the risks that uh, have more recently been widely acknowledged around opioids specifically.
0: What does that mean with regard to who can get opioid pain meds and who can't?
3: Really what it means we have looked at conditions that really it's not best practice to prescribe opioids as first-line therapies and looking at more uh, what we consider minor, not life-threatening complaints like dental pain. So prior to this, as an example, nationally, the statistic was that 60% of patients that come to emergency departments with toothaches would get prescribed an opioid, where other treatments were thought to be better first-line treatments, like anti-inflammatory medications. We've shifted to doing more dental anesthetic injections and bridging patients to appropriate dental care rather than that sort of you know bandage approach of so, taking opioids for several days without definitive care.
0: Yeah, I, I remember getting uh, the wisdom teeth taken out and I was prescribed opioid. For that, and it didn't work for me, and I ended up just using Tylenol. I want to jump to Chrissy. Chrissy, you t- tell us a little bit about the pain you suffer and, and, and what you tried to deal with it, and why you think opioids is the way.
1: In 2006, I had a major accident. I was in the bottom of a two person quad accident. My lower back was blown, at the doctor with the emergency surgery had said it was like a grenade went off in my lower back and that was the first surgery. The second surgery ended up in a fusion, both emergency surgeries um, from the pain. I also have been diagnosed with fibromyalgia and I cannot have any more surgeries. Therefore, my pain is so severe from nerve damage and my lower back and my legs, the nerve damage and the pains that I have. And with fibromyalgia, the symptoms over 200 that are just so severe and there's no cure. So why is it that I'm being treated in the one size fits all group of the opiate limit of 90 milligrams equivalent to morphine, which is nothing for a chronic pain patient like me. It's just very frustrating. And so uh, have you been told
0: no? Have you been told no when you you wanted it?
1: 2016. Yes. My doctor, who I've known for years, he cried with me and said, I don't have a choice. I'm being forced to lower you off of all of your pain medicine, which the pain medicine, it's not a cure. It's when there's no other way, when I've done the tens unit acupuncture therapy, land therapy, three, four times, aqua therapy, acupuncture massage therapy. I mean, the list goes on everything before going to pain medicine, many spinal infusions that did not work. The last one they tried going in two different sides. Yeah. It never worked. And, my diagnosis was spinal stenosis, degenerative discs, arthritis, bulging disc, herniated, fibromyalgia. I am now I'm now a shut in from not having medicine and coming off of all the medicine. They did it too fast, and I have side effects from that.
0: And and how old how old are you, uh, Chrissy? If you don't mind me asking.
1: No, that's fine. I'm 41, um, and this all started in my early when I was 30.
0: So this past 11 years, you've been battling this, and we're going to come back and pick up on this. Dr. Um, Marizaldi, I mean, you you deal with patients all the time. I mean, what do you say to someone like a a Chrissy who's dealing with this serious pain and there's no
2: cure for it? It is such a difficult condition, and one of the, the main problems, I think, is that we don't get trained as practitioners how to treat this patient in a very comprehensive way so that the pain is not just a simple local injury. It is a whole experience there. The emotional components that are involved in this are phenomenal. And we as doctors often don't get taught how to address these issues with a patient. What is a patient perceiving? How are they perceiving? How are they interpreting their pain? How is it affecting their life? So it becomes a much more comprehensive issue than just just a simple pain measure. It's much more comprehensive. I'm sure that Chrissy, being now 41, is affected in many areas of her life. Hard to live. Hard it's to even hard walk to her live. dog and, right. and do
0: simple things. Right.
1: I'm a shut in right now because of it. And I've had a life on the medicine. And now, I'm now nothing. And I want to live. Yeah, I want to live. And I and I want to for my life. I'm uh, sorry.
0: One of the reasons why I did this show was because I had my dad. He's dealing with severe pain and. He specifically had an issue trying to get pain medicine, could not get it. And to see him in pain was horrifying to me. Dr. Del Porto, I mean, when you have patients like a Chrissy come into the ER, since a lot of these guidelines are very similar, what do they say with regard to treating someone like a Chrissy?
3: Chronic pain is a serious, debilitating problem for many people. Um, and on a large scale, I think the U.S. healthcare system isn't well equipped to deal with it, both on the training of physician side, which is something that's been really examined at a lot of medical schools in the past few years in light of the opioid crisis, to looking at the pipeline of therapies that can be offered. Um, a lot of pain management specialists are using medications off-label. Um, that are, are not approved for, for pain medicine, for pain management, in some cases the more, most effective treatments for some patients. The other issue is many pain management practices tend to focus on, on procedural treatments rather than a more holistic approach or even on medication management. Um, and I think that's because that's where reimbursements are focused is on procedures. It creates fewer access points for patients who are already on opioids. To address the issue of the, the guidelines, we're talking specifically about treatment of pain in the emergency department, which is not to broaden that to how um, patients like Chrissy or others dealing with chronic pain should be treated in an outpatient setting. In the emergency department, we're in this line of work because we want to save lives and we want to alleviate suffering. And we are specifically trained in the emergency department to identify and stabilize life-threatening or limb-threatening uh, medical emergencies. And we provide acute episodic care, right? So I, I will see a patient and may never see them again. Yeah. Um, and so patients with chronic pain, you know, they need oftentimes dose adjustments. They, they, you know, when you're taking high-risk medications like opioids, um, they need somebody that's going to uh, check in with them and ensure that their symptoms are controlled and without adverse effects like over-sedation, that they're not being put at risk for overdose and things that we we are seeing. We're seeing 42,000, 43,000 overdoses a year of prescription drugs. Um, And so, um, you know, these are high-risk situations when patients develop increasing needs for opioids, and it really requires somebody who's going to treat them holistically, approach, you know, all the aspects uh, that Dr. Marizaldi mentioned. Emergency physicians just aren't equipped uh, with with the, the resources or the sort of structural relationship with the patients.
0: Chrissy, I want to get you in here because, I mean, obviously, yeah. I mean, there, there has to be days where it gets too unbearable. And you've been using the same doctor, you said, for many years. But the yeah. doctor, your doctor has many roadblocks now.
1: Coming off this medicine, it's affected my mind, everything. Um, so I apologize. I just want to address, I know the ER is triage, basically, to get you to a doctor. Mm-hmm. Heal. I understand all this. And the patients that come in there more often, they, a lot of addicts, they are injuring themselves to get medicine. I've seen so many things and this opiate crisis and the amount of opiate overdose, thousands of chronic pain patients like me who have had their medicines taken away are killing them. They're taking their lives because they do not see a future for them. They're in so much pain and there's no help. And we don't go to the ER. Real chronic pain patients, we don't go to the ER because we know they will not be able to help us or they won't. Because if you ask for a pill or medicine because your pain is so bad, there's judgment. But my point I want to touch on base is yes, my doctor and my pharmacy, I had relationships with them. They know me because I went to my doctor for years And we talked about um, seeing a therapist to talk about what I was going through, and I have. We've talked about other things, rather, you know, that personal level of dealing with all of this stuff. He spent time with me. We didn't have a lot of time because a lot of pain management doctors only have 15 to 20 minutes with each patient. But when you see a doctor for so long, you get to talk to them. He knew me, he knew my family, and he saw Physically, they used to check your blood pressure, your weight, all of your levels. Now coming off of the medicines, none of that is happening. And I have gotten so much sicker. I gained weight, which is so unhealthy for my back in so many ways because I can't physically move. But it's so important to address the fact between chronic pain patients like me, who I kept a journal of everything that went in my mouth from Advil, Tums, everything, never overdosed never took too much any of that anybody who has real chronic pain and medicine pain medicine was their last resort we were careful we are careful with it and we don't want to lose the chance of doing anything that you know would yeah. take that away. and now we're being punished it feels because our human rights are taken away because we're clumped into the People who, you know, are abusing it and all these, you know, heroin street. Nobody's talking about, just now they're talking about China and Mexico, all the synthetic, yeah, fentanyl and all that. This doesn't, this isn't me. I am not going to the street. I had my heart doctor beg me not to go to the street for pain medicine because he knows how much pain I'm in. Because I have a heart condition too.
0: Yeah. This and is,
1: it's a, it's a, Thousands are dying and taking their lives. Patients like me. Yeah. There's no hope anymore.
0: I mean, you hear this. I mean we're we're looking at each other, Doctor Marizaldi. I mean this is a serious issue. Has the pendulum yeah. swung? too far at all? Is it, What can we do for folks like this?
2: Uh, I believe the pendulum has swung too far, and I think that there's a difference between guidelines, which give the prerogative to the doctor to decide what is best with a patient, a doctor that knows their patient, knows that they're not abusing the drugs, and be able to manage it chronically without them ever abusing it, like, uh, like what Chrissy has been doing, and I have a lot of patients like that. But to take away that judgment, that clinical judgment, and the ability for the doctor to decide what is best for the patient by implementing now laws. Mm-hmm. So these are not just guidelines, these exactly. are policies that are taking away the rights of doctors to prescribe whatever they believe is best for their patient for the patients to get the treatment that they need. I think it's a misguided policy and it needs to change. It needs to give doctors uh, the, the training to be able to manage narcotics properly, be able to help them identify which patients are reliable and are able to use their medications judiciously and properly for a long periods of time versus the people that will tend to ad- be addicted and abuse these drugs, which certainly are. And some of these patients will go to the emergency room, and we need to be able to learn how to identify those patients that will tend to abuse the system, even to the point of harming themselves, as Crazy was saying, in order to get these drugs. Yes. But otherwise... If this is not done in a very thoughtful and compassionate yeah. manner, then people are going to look for these alternative solutions like getting street drugs or starting self-medication. To abuse self-medication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are turning to alcohol and, and having the ravages of alcoholism now. So this is what is happening. And one of the things that, that fortunately we have now – is the medical marijuana in the state of Pennsylvania, and we don't know. There's a lot of controversy about what medical marijuana can do for for various conditions uh, that involve pain, but so far there is some data that shows that it can be effective for a number of patients and relieve some of the pain and suffering, and many times can help people to cut down the narcotics. This is still an area of research. We still need a lot of work on that, but those are options that are there for patients. Another thing that I would like to mention is, for example, uh, hypnosis, learning self-hypnosis. There is an incredible research done in the National Institutes of Mental Health by Dr. Mark Jensen, who has been working for the past 30 years on this and has published many articles and books on how to teach patients to engage in these practices that are certainly non-toxic and that can be very effective to cut down the, 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 the drugs that they're using. So there are other approaches out there that doctors need to know, need to be educated on how to use them, and patients to know that they are available.
0: Yeah, and, and I want to go back to Dr. Del Porto. Um, when we think about this, I mean, these guidelines, we went from no guidelines at all <laughs> uh, for years and years and years, because I remember, I mean, I was 21 getting these extremely strong drugs, and and to now having strict guidelines, And so, and and I want to take it out of the ER for a second and just say, you know, how do you, I mean, you've helped drafted this. How does one go about adding flexibility to guidelines like this? If you're a person on the inside and you're saying, okay, well, I see that there are people that are falling between the cracks here. How do people advocate for themselves within the system to kind of add for some some shift there.
3: A really key point to be made here is about the difference, as, as Dr. Marizaldi mentioned, between guidelines, which is what we uh, enacted specifically just for our emergency department um, in terms of allowing clinician judgment. Um, They're voluntary guidelines. They're basically, you know, sort of recommendations of how we should approach these decisions about prescribing um, but it allows a lot of, um, you know, judgment on the part of the physician about what is appropriate in a, in a specific circumstance, the most appropriate venue for care, those kind of things. That's one side of this. I think what what you're, um, you know, what Chrissy's, you know, suffering with right now is something different, which is the CMS policy to deny coverage for anybody who has more than a 90 milligram morphine per day threshold. And currently, so CMS the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, a big insurer, it's 1.6 million people that are over that threshold. That's a very different approach than, than having a guideline that puts it in the hands of the provider to figure out the right thing for the patient. Um, that takes it out of the hands of the, the prescriber um, and, uh, and puts it in, in the hands of an insurance company, essentially. Um, and so even several people who were involved in the drafting of the guidelines for the CDC's Guidelines for Chronic Pain Management, um, which, again, allowed for individual physicians uh, to, to work with their patients to find the right treatments, th- those physicians who helped to draft those Several of them, including people in my field of emergency medicine, have stepped away uh, from this recommendation that, that, that CMS has put out, um, and and have said this is not what we were talking about. We didn't take a position on um, patients who were already at high thresholds, and it's now forcing them to lower their um, their daily um, their daily opioid intake, um, and that that puts people like Chrissy in a really tough position. And I, I really feel for Chrissy because. Um, That's something that, uh, you know, obviously an emergency room wouldn't wouldn't play into that um, type of decision. Um, But it's it's putting people in a really tough position, as she said, with her doctor saying that he was being sort of forced to do this. Yeah. Um, You know, that that's that's very different than the guidelines that we're talking about. Um, And CMS has often missed the mark on on uh, making uh, these sort of rules about how physicians should Um, practice medicine and how they should treat patients, Um, a lot of times those recommendations are not based on evidence. um, And so uh, it puts people in a really difficult position. So how how does somebody like
0: a Chrissy, how do physicians sort of, you know, advocate against this?
3: There was, I mean, there was a brief comment period and that's where several people, you know, very publicly in large publications like the New York Times um, physicians came out and criticized the rule it's a government agency and um, i would encourage people to reach out to, to their representatives
0: yeah. and and she um, has so many repercussions from weight gain to now being shut in that causes that can lead to depression you know not losing friends and not being able to work all of those things
1: talking about doctors like my doctor said what's going on right now it's very time sensitive is what i'm trying to say like human rights For people like us, it's become a human rights issue because there are so many every day I'm on Twitter talking to a group and we're always, everybody's educating each other. This is a serious issue of time sensitive because from 2016 to now is when I was taken off the meds and yes, depression. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm very depressed because I have pain and that was not an issue before, but also with my doctor. He promised that he was leaving because if a doctor would prescribe medicine for patients like me, right, right away, stormed in by the DEA, they were shut down. Doctors are being watched. It's a witch hunt on pain management doctors and good, very good doctors who are trying to help. And what I meant by people injuring themselves, I'm talking about addicts who are abusing. And that's an issue that needs to be dealt with, that they have a problem with addiction. Yeah. And my doctor, when I was coming off the medicine, see, when you have an addiction and you go to get help, they give you methadone, all these different medicines. My pain management doctor, which helps you come off the medicine easier, I was not allowed. He said he was not allowed to prescribe me legally in the office those meds. I had to go to a hospital, which then you're flagged on your record. If you ever go to the ER, say in an accident, you're... It's flagged. They don't even look into the details of why you had to, you know, get help. But they they come off the meds and then they go through classes, you know, dealing with their addiction and all that, all this stuff, which doesn't apply to me. Yeah. There is no cure for me. There's no cure for fibromyalgia or I cannot have any more surgeries. And I will not put myself, especially now with the new regulations of anybody getting any surgeries, you have no medicine. And this
0: is a major issue. And because this is Flashpoint, I do have to unfortunately wrap up our discussion. What are the next steps? I mean, we have clearly individuals like Chrissy who are uh, suffering. What can physicians do? What can the public do? What can Chrissy do? Because it is a time-sensitive issue.
2: I think it's uh, definitely a political issue because we're talking about human rights, we're talking about civil rights. Patients need to get together and doctors need to get together with these patients and form coalitions that then can put pressure on the legislators so that they can change these policies which are so detrimental to patients.
3: Being politically active and engaging in misguided rules like the CMS regulations that were just issued, training physicians better, um, and also supporting a research pipeline for additional therapies um, that are going to be safe and effective um, and uh, and providing more access to patients, give them reasonable, safe access alternatives um, to places that, that they can establish relationships and really get their pain uh, managed and under, under control.
0: Chrissy, stories like yours w- could help sway uh, politicians. Well, I have reached out to
1: Congressman Fitzpatrick. And state representatives, my mom, who's 80, is fighting with me because I can't always fight. It's a political issue. It's all about money, too. But I do believe that reaching out to your politicians is important but a lot of them are ignoring a lot of people right now i just feel like it's it's a real time sensitive issue because so many people are losing their lives
0: well thank you very much to dr bernardo marizaldi to dr daniel del porto and to chrissy hauser for sharing your story and coming on flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news next up she was the bridge that brought hip-hop from the boogie down to the rest of the world it gave us life Philadelphia radio legend speaks out on her termination, her musical legacy, and what's to come. We'll be right back. is the Flashpoint Podcast, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. I was certainly excited to sit down with a Philadelphia icon this week a few months ago. Y'all probably heard radio legend Wendy Clark, a.k.a. the one and only Lady B, was terminated from her longtime radio gig, and B Nation, that's her legion of fans, they got hot under the collar. The station, which I won't name, didn't do a send-off or explain their decision. And their lack of transparency prompted the Philadelphia NAACP and activist attorney Michael Cord prompted them to hold a protest and press conference demanding answers. Now, fast forward, and it's been several months, and Lady B is now being honored for her three and a half decades in music. The first woman MC on wax, she's in the Guinness Book of World Records. She's also among the list of folks credited with giving hip-hop wings. He was recently honored at the African American Museum of Philadelphia, where the mini-documentary, A Salute to Lady B, was shown for the very first time. Lady B, welcome to Flashpoint. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. I did not know this when I used to see you around that you are a direct contributor to my childhood soundtrack. (laughs) I knew you were. a. And then when I heard KRS-One shout you out as the godmother of hip hop and literally thanking you. And you weren't even there at Odoom Day for basically being the bridge between New York and the rest of the world when it comes to
4: hip hop. How does it feel being a legend? Fulfilling. I guess it's the best word I could come up with, but it was uh, an extreme pleasure to uh, be there and be a bricklayer in this uh, genre of music that no one knew anything about at the time and thought we were crazy. And, yeah, it was an awesome time to, uh, to, yeah, to live my life. Hip-hop was my life, soundtrack to my entire life. What was it about hip-hop that made you know that this was going to be something? the effect that it had on folks. You have to understand when we started hip hop, it um, pretty much like it is today was a lot of uh, violence and a lot of a gang war in the urban uh, community. And it gave us a chance to put those guns and knives down and battle in a, in a more productive way um, with a microphone and some turntables. And it, it had a calming force, in the beginning on the african-american community it it gave us life it gave us life it was funny i was watching that little documentary and mm-hmm. joe scott says just that she goes girl you gave me life yeah you know what i mean hip-hop saved my life mm-hmm. because so many so many of us had nothing to do and nowhere to go and you have to understand it you know when they started hip-hop up in the boogie down we were ostracized we weren't allowed to go to the discos and or we couldn't afford them. We weren't welcome there. And if you ask the the ancestors of hip-hop who started this, if you ask the Africa Bambadas, they'll tell you just that. We just started putting our own parties on and loading up those speakers and rocking the courtyards in those projects. And here we are today. It's yeah. a worldwide phenomenon. And influence culture, influence music, yes.
0: influence people, influence fashion. I mean, everything you talk about, I mean it's a way
4: of life. It is. It is. It's a it's a way of life. It is. It is. Yep.
0: And I think about you so I watched a documentary and
4: <laughs> I was like Lady B in her hair, like
0: you had <laughs> hair outfits <laughs> and you were like this little this small woman with a huge presence. Yeah. Did you how did you get a presence
4: like that at such a young age? Um I think I'm going to attribute that to my older brothers and sisters. I am the youngest of four and and definitely my mom, my mm-hmm. mom is Ethel uh it's so important, especially when I started to being the only girl, yeah, in the all boys club, you know you had to put those shoulders back and hold that head up and stand your ground girl. you had to mm-hmm. yeah, you had to represent hard. As a woman,
0: an attractive woman in hip hop, which is people have said it's sexist, it's misogynistic, there's all these men there, very few women, yet you
4: became the first woman MC. You you had to demand it. You have to be mindful of what you allow men to say in your presence. You have to be mindful of what they say to you and and how they react to you. You know, if, if someone says something disrespectful, don't let it slide. Say something right then and there. So how are you doing? I'm wonderful. I'm excited about starting. Um, speaking of this technology, uh, I miss my listeners so much, and they miss me so much. It's hard. I can't go to the supermarket. I can't go to the hairdresser. Lord and Tales while someone walking up and hugging me. Um, it's bittersweet. It's sweet because I touched folks, and I yeah. made a difference in their lives, and they appreciated it and heard me, and they felt the love. And then it's bitter because I'm not there every day for them. Mm-hmm. I've received emails from people who said they can't get through their chemo or they can't get through their dialysis or their children are missing me. And that hurts. Yeah. To know that you made a difference in folks' lives and you're not allowed to do that. So I'm looking forward to um, starting my own podcast mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, Internet radio and all this technology that we have. We have... um important things about the come down the pike elections and yes yeah it's crazy in the white house right now let me try not to be disrespectful because i could say some other things but yeah we have to uh it's time for us to come together and it's time for us to help one another
0: and you are synonymous with community i wrote down some words that people <laughs> used um they said that you were real that you were uh to down sometimes. to earth um <laughs> that you have a big heart that you uh, love community, true Philly girl.
4: Mm-hmm. And where does this love for people come from? If if you have the beautiful job that I had of working on the radio, there's your blessing right there. I know. You're like, somebody pays me to do this. Oh, my like God, I'm getting a paycheck to actually sit here and put a smile on people's faces and, and, and play great music and give great information. What better life yeah. could you have? But then there's, you know, when the mic is off and the show is over— There's still folks out there that need you, Mm -hmm. that need all of us, They need us to come together. So if I'm the vehicle to do that, then it's nothing but a blessing. I think that's probably why people were so upset, because I always
0: joke that you know Philly love you when they hold a protest. And it was cold.
4: Yeah. (laughs) It was cold outside, and that... Um, for those who don't know, when that was going on, I cried so hard. Yeah. Number one, because I couldn't say thank you. Mm-hmm. You know, we have these contracts; you're not allowed to say anything. You don't get your severance pay, and people are afraid because we have all this technology. Because you
0: were just told you went in one day on a Tuesday, and I have issues with Tuesdays just because I've had some crazy stuff happen to me on Tuesday. Yeah. You go into work regular Tuesday, boom, the bada-boom. book just
4: came out, had a great rating. You know, the rating book just came out. You did great. You're celebrating like, oh, my God, I did so awesome. And then you go to work on Tuesday and that goes to your last day. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? Yeah, just like that. No explanation. Um, and they just said today is it. I asked why. And I was told uh, it was a corporate decision. So I don't know what that means, quote, unquote. Yeah. I don't know what that means, who in corporate or why in corporate or, or what have you. But I did realize that people loved me. You know you never do that. You do this job every day and you don't know you know, you don't have a feedback line. Yeah. I guess the only way you can know is if you have a good rating. So I had those, but to to hear it out their mouths and hear Yeah. It be so personal and you know, when you can make a difference yes. like that, when you can actually get folks yes. out to the polls, when you can actually I mean, I could tell you all the stories. Pre- yeah. This these I did a Wednesday feature, um, in the community, and I invited every nonprofit I could find mm-hmm. that did something for children to come on the show, and then you get these emails: how this nonprofit changed her child's life, how it redirected them, you know, on a different path. And wow, yeah, it's power in this microphone. Don't yes, it's, it's a power blessing. in this microphone, mm-hmm. and, and it should be used as such. And I truly believe that
0: you know that sometimes corporations get to. They forget that
4: people work there, We're and it's made folks. up of people, mm-hmm. and that the listeners are people. I remember they made a format change, and I walked into work one day, two years ago, and they fired everybody but me. And I started crying. And you know what they said to me? Why are you crying? You still have your job. I'm like, wow, but these are all my friends. Um, they're like a family to me now. We have lives and children and Life. Yeah. And they couldn't understand how I felt that inside. Like You clearly wear your heart on your sleeve. I do. You to know. To a fault sometimes, but I do. And I'm never going to change. I'm too old to change. Now. And so could they, I mean, they didn't send you off in a in a correct way. I you wish had they there. had at least said thank you. Because what it leaves people to wonder is what happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of my personal friends, because of my um, attitude, thought I might have snapped on someone <laughs> or <laughs> choked the boss or something. <laughs> But no, I didn't, and I wish they had uh, made that very clear that I didn't, and yeah. there was no insubordination. I think they wouldn't have been as angry. I think their ratings would be better now. Radio stations, TV stations, we have to understand that, first of all, folks can turn a the dial. They can go somewhere else. Yeah, so much competition. They, there's so much competition out mm-hmm. here. So if you don't pay them any mind, if you don't make them realize that they are important to you, they will turn their back and walk away. Yeah. So there's no rocket science to what I've done all my life if you are real with folks folks will be real with you if you show them that you care they in return will care about you it's simple Mary Mason you were
0: her intern and we Uh, I saw you at her birthday party my man she was very much a community person did it in a way that's different from you and, and that she was very much about helping the community Oh,
4: I wish I could be as strong as Mary yeah, but she was she's a strong
0: but you but yeah. you still are strong though but no, in a different I was strong way.
4: but in a whole different way I had a little sugar on my strong. she <laughs> is no chaser um but you know what um but you I were learned, raised up I learned from so a legend. much mm-hmm. from that woman and I should have said a big part of 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 my tenacity definitely came from Mary mm-hmm. watching her stand her ground with all those men. And politicians. I mean, I saw this woman yes. lay out mayors. I was wondering, I said, did Mary teach her a snapback? Yo, <laughs> you know, really? Out there I mean, in the streets, yeah. I mean, sometimes she was so strong and so harsh. I would run in the corner and, and call my mom crying, like, oh my God, she's so mean. And blah, blah not knowing that she was grooming, grooming me the whole time. Do you think radio has
0: changed? I've been told, you know, multiple mm-hmm. times radio the way it was and the way that it is. What do
4: you think the biggest change is? Um, not allowing air personalities to be themselves, and that's from picking the music, picking the segments. It's it's not community based anymore. You know, when I was coming up, Das, we had they had softball games in the community, and there was always something going on in the community. They've lost that. They don't have that anymore. It's become more
0: corporate. It's and so corporate connected. Yeah. and
4: so disconnected. You're right, and it's not. Fair because, honestly, we should play what people ask to hear. It just makes kind of common sense, and not what we're told to play. For those who don't know the mechanics of radio, those songs are in there already. So, you know, I remember one time switching to three different radio stations, and everybody was playing the same the same song. song. Everything's yeah. in heavy rotation. That particular song or whatever. And I'm I'm not saying don't play what the masses like, but in between all of that, let the masses choose as well mm-hmm. what they want to hear. Yeah, you know what I mean. And radio has lost that. They don't do that anymore. Yeah. It's sad. You have to come up with a special feature. And, you know, I used to do a finish the lyric or my pick of the day, a song that I know that Philly rocked In out In order to get it through. To get it on. Yeah. yeah. And that was one of the big things that
0: helped catapult your career was that sure. you had that freedom. You had that editorial Uh, Ability when hip hop started,
4: oh my god, we could play whatever we wanted to play when we brought our own crates of records in and and did our own thing. Yeah, yeah, way different than today.
0: And then how has hip hop changed? Because folks, you know, folks of a certain age are like, I want to write, I want to write some lines, (laughs) some verses, some bars
4: about, uh, like I don't know, I want to call it stop. What have you done to my hip hop? Um, (laughs) One side of me wishes that hip hop had remained underground. Yeah. But we know that the country that we live in, its motto is if you can't beat it, buy it. Yeah. And it's become so commercialized. And there's so many good conscious rappers today that get no light on terrestrial radio. Which is why, again, there's the gift and the curse, but that's the gift of uh social media and the internet is that they can they have other avenues to yeah. to put their stuff out. But yeah, it's so. And then it seems like they choose the most ratchet, horrible songs to spotlight. And I just don't get it. I just don't understand it. And I do want to switch gears. This business is
0: tough. Yeah, you tell it's me. cutthroat. You know, women, there's gender bias in that our shelf life in many ways, we're told up front mm-hmm. and I count the days. Yeah. They were told up front that our shelf life is shorter just because we were, were women. born women.
4: Yeah. Do you talk about that? Because talk I mean, about being an African American woman yeah. too—that set you back even more. In music, you know, where people
0: think everything you have to be a certain age to be considered whatever. Do you? Did you think that you being a woman contributed to whatever happened? And do you think that? Sure, we
4: are still living in yeah. an all boys club. Believe it and. I am saddened about the Me Too movement because it had to happen because yeah. so many women were disrespected mm-hmm. and taken advantage of. But on the other hand, you know, did it take that for us to come together? Yeah. Because we have such a short shelf life, what happens is we start becoming crabs in a barrel ourselves. Yeah. And we won't compliment or help or, you know, uplift. Uplift yeah. the train. next sister yes. and train.
0: And I want to ask you as we wrap up this this, this wonderful conversation. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, is what do you think it's going to take to turn what was a, a, a bad day for you, a bad Tuesday, into the best thing that ever happened
4: to you and for the community? I'm not sure. It's up to God. I'm just excited. I believe firmly that this book is already written for all of us. Yes. And if you adhere to his power and adhere to your faith then you will have excitement about what page is coming next and if you could just let that be your rule of life knowing that you know we we're so quick to yes be sad and and oh god it's so messed up we're so busy saying how messed up things are that we don't take time to make them better and making them better will make you happy it will make you Feel good inside. It, it's fulfilling, and if you don't, if you sulk and complain, and where's it going to get you? Yeah, I have a feeling that it's going to be
0: turn out to be a great thing. I think that you're going to find another space and Almost breathe life definitely. into it. Yeah, and that it's gonna I'm not fulfill, going anywhere. It's funny. Fulfill,
4: it's going to fulfill something that is much, oh, much you. needed. Oh, it's still needed. We need you. We need all of us. Anyone that has one of these microphones in front of them, we need all of us. And we need yes. to come together and we have to continue to uh, make a difference. So where can people find you? And do you have a name for your new podcast yet? Um, uh, I had meetings yesterday. We're, we're fighting over important. three. The name is very we're, important. We're fighting over <laughs> three names. Um, So, yeah, I'll get back to you on that. I just had a meeting uh, with Becky. She's probably going to listen to this. Hey, Beck. Uh, we're um, yeah, we're working on that now. I do know what I want it to be. I want it to be perfect. I'm a, a stickler for perfection. Yeah, I want every video to be vibrant on the on the YouTube channel. I want everything to be perfect, though. So I'm I'm looking at a January launch. Yes. Um, Start the new year. I am canning. You know what that means. I'm putting on my interviews and stuff and getting them ready and poised to go. I'm doing interviews now. And as far as what I'm doing, that, I have been so busy. I've been busier now than I was uh, working at the radio station. I'm still doing all the parties, all the shows yeah, and all the community work. It's still I'm not going anywhere. And see, that's a connection, too, that I made through the radio station. I stay in touch with folks. I don't. Yeah, you know, you know, I'm not just your, you know, friend or gave you a a microphone because I was on the radio. I genuinely care about what happened to your family yeah. and what happens to your seniors. And but you you have the you have an
0: audience, you have a network, I and do. that is going. That's the most the valuable thing
4: you have in this. I business. have a nation. It- they name themselves the B Nation. I have a nation rolling with me. You don't <laughs> understand, and they are serious. And I just think that you'll get tons of downloads on your podcast. And entrepreneurship is 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 the way to go. Let me tell you. And I want to shout out to all of the folks who have um, promised me and reassured me that they will sponsor my anything that I do. That they're there with me. The companies and stuff who rolled out and left the station when I left. I have a lot of those, and I appreciate them all. And so, with this, I just want to say, Lady B, you're an amazing spirit.
0: Thank you so much for From coming your on, guys.
4: But thank you, it's my
0: pleasure, and sharing your wonderful story. This is a legend, y'all. Next up, she's taking on the city's homicide rate. Don't wait till this happens to you. Philadelphia woman's motivation and effort to empower you to make change. We'll be right back. Hey, guys, listen up. When you're done with the show, would you do me a favor? Please provide a review and rate this podcast. And feel free to provide feedback often. We need reviews to push us to the top. Now back to the show. Thanks, all. This is the Flashpoint Podcast, and I'm Cherry Gregg. We here at KYW are all about community, and this week it's all about stopping the killing. Last year, 307 people fell victim to homicide in Philadelphia, the highest number of murder deaths in five years. But in comes Erase the Rate, a nonprofit working to decrease the murder rate in the city by bringing people together. With me in the studio to discuss the ongoing effort is Davida Garner. She is the founder of Erase the Rate. Thank you so much for appearing on Flashpoint.
5: Thank you for having me.
0: So for folks who haven't heard about Erase the Rate, what is it and why did you start it?
5: So Erase the Rate is a nonprofit organization aimed at lowering the homicide rate in Philadelphia by enhancing the minority community.
0: And so why did you decide to start it? Because, I mean, I know July is usually in Philadelphia, unfortunately, one of the worst months When it comes to
5: street violence and shootings and things like that, why did you decide to get involved? June of last year, 2017, my cousin was killed. He was killed in our grandmother's home. He was shot over a dozen times close range, and the community didn't step up, and the police didn't step up either. Our situation was not rare. It's very common. And so I didn't want another family to really understand and feel the pain that we were going through and that we still go through because his case is not solved. So I started getting out and I started speaking to the youth and then I just made it an organization.
0: Wow. And so tell me about your cousin.
5: Yes. So his name was Damon Garner, 29 years old. My grandma was actually upstairs and she heard what she described as firecrackers. And she came down the steps and found her grandson that she raised since he was a month old laying on her living room floor and, and he passed away. That trauma yes. in the whole household. Yes. I try to get out to families now and tell them, you know, don't wait till this happens to you to you or your family. You can change it now so that it doesn't hit your doorstep. So we have a couple of programs. We take them to rec centers. We're trying to get some of our programs in school. But we go out. If we see kids hanging out on the street, we'll go up to them and talk to them and say, hey, you know, what are your plans for life? A lot of them will respond like, I don't, I don't have a plan because I'm even going to be in jail or I'm going to die. They will tell you that they're not going to make it past a certain age. And at first, it used to shock me. Now it it hurts me because everyone, all the politicians, the police, everyone knows what's going on in our city. Our community knows what's going on in our city, and nobody does anything about it. So we'll talk to the kids all the time and tell them, like, okay, if this is what you want to do, these are the steps that you have to take. If we don't know the steps, we figure it out and we work together. Our mindset is to give to them is if you have something to lose, You'll think twice before you hurt someone. Yeah. If you have a job, whether it's at McDonald's, that McDonald's job can still get you somewhere. You can become a manager at McDonald's. You can own a McDonald's. It doesn't matter, you know, where you start. But you have to keep the mindset that if you go to jail, you're going to hurt yourself. Jail is the is the good view because you can actually end up at the morgue as well. Yeah, dead. And, and the thing is, I've realized there's so much despair. Did yes. you feel the yes. despair coming from some of these young yes. people where you feel there's no way out? The clearance rate. And Philadelphia is around 40%. Yeah. So that means over 60% of murders are actually going unsolved. So these young men see their friends on the ground, and then that's it. And the police aren't trying to help. The community isn't trying to help. So their friends go back and they retaliate. They get revenge for their friends. And so now you just have black men killing other black men, and they either get retaliation brought back onto them or their family, or they go to jail. And
0: meanwhile... Kids get caught in a crossfire, grandmothers get caught in a crossfire, and all of this is pain.
5: Yes. Our ultimate goal is to really have as many youth in our program as possible, get counseling for them. I was in the military, and when you go to war and you see things that naturally people don't see, you get PTSD training. When these kids are going to school and they, their friends aren't coming to school with them the next day, a couple months ago, there were two brothers. They were in their 20s. They were shot dead on the street in front of a middle school in South Philly. And the bodies were still out there while those kids were going to school. And they, you don't think that they need PTSD training. That's something that they're seeing all the time. And basically, it's like they're we're desensitizing them to gun violence. So when these young people see... Gunshots, they, they see it as a praise. You know, if you kill someone it's a praise, people will show up at your funeral, but they don't show up at your graduation. They don't show up at your wedding, things like that.
0: Yeah, some of the more positive things. So yes. it's about changing mindset. Yes.
5: Yeah, so uh, do you
0: need donations? Do you have events coming up? Tell me what you got going on.
5: We have our first membership meeting on July 18th at the Lonnie Young Rec Center. We also are planning to have a football, a flag football tournament, um, in August, yeah. We're, so we'll be—we're really excited about that. We're gonna have not a father-son, but like a a male race, so potato sack race, and we want the males to come with a younger male that they don't know to show the younger people like there are people outside of your family that care about you.
0: Wonderful, and you look very young.
5: I am. I'm twenty five years old. And, you know, I just say <laughs> that
0: I commend you. Thank you. For being, you know, twenty five, twenty four when you started this
5: effort and just pushing this forward. So
0: how can people support you? So
5: you can go to com. We are raising funds. We have a donation page on the website. You can also cash app is the dollar sign. Erase the rate. We have PayPal as well. And then follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rate. And we are a follow 1C3 nonprofit.
0: That means it's tax deductible, <laughs> y'all. No excuses. So, Davita Garner, I wish you luck, and I hope that we can erase this rate, yes, ma'am. this death rate, this homicide rate, and this shooting rate. Yes, and you know, save some lives and change some minds.
5: Yes, ma'am.
0: That's it for the Flashpoint Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. You can follow us on Twitter by searching Flashpoint Show. Let us know what you think by using the hashtag Flashpoint. You can also follow me at Cherry Greg. You can subscribe to the show by using the Radio.com app, iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever platform you use to get your pods. Search us by looking up Flashpoint KYW. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As Bob Dylan once said, behind every beautiful thing, there's some kind of pain. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.